the Weekly Squeak. I am Christian Chiller speaking to you from an Airbnb in Athens where I'm escaping the cold Berlin weather for a couple of weeks, which is unfortunately coming to an end now. It certainly is a great deal warmer than Berlin when I look at the current temperatures and I'm not looking forward to returning. Oh, well, I suppose I can't stay here forever. So I'm using my little portable recorder, and this is in the grand tradition of Southern European homes, a very noisy place, so hopefully there's not too much echo and bashing around behind me. In this weekly squeak, I cover a few tidbits that have attracted my attention from across the internet the past week, Uh, and this time mostly technology-related, not exclusively, but mostly. And then we will round up the episode with an interview with Monique Moreau that I did at Web Summit last year, where we talk for a reasonable amount of time about, um, I guess, I guess we could summarise it to uh, making technology more people focused, more usable by people, which is always something that interests me. And it was an interesting conversation. So let's get started with items from the past week. So first was an article from Ethan Liu on The Guardian, Bitcoin as big oil, the next big environmental fight. And this is an interesting post from Ethan, actually. Uh, it was one of the reasons, well, actually not even one of the reasons, I think the main reason I stopped trading in Bitcoin was the environmental impact. It was just too great for me. Um, but the post goes a little bit further. That's not a new conversation. The post goes a little bit further into talking about uh, how the Bitcoin market is getting a lot of parallels to the oil industry, i.e. a market that is maybe too dominated by strong powers with their own agendas, about how maybe in a few years we're going to look back on Bitcoin as potentially damaging technology, especially to the environment, when it set out to be a complete alternative to that. So a sort of an interesting parallel looking through the lens of history about how we may look at a technology that is still sort of playing out right now, But um, yeah, history always provides a different perspective on that. So I recommend you have a read of that. It's, yeah, a a new angle on a a topic that has been discussed a few times. Up next was um, an article from Sinclair Target, or maybe Sinclair Target, I'm not sure, uh, on Motherboard. Um, The Rise and Demise of RSS. Now, I don't know. I sometimes think that the constant discussions around the demise of RSS are a little overrated. Uh, I mean, I use it. <laughs> I don't know if that necessarily means maybe I have a somewhat biased opinion on, on the use of RSS. Because I also know that when I've asked developers to implement RSS in a website, uh, they've asked me, like, do people still use that? So maybe it's just me. But it's such a convenient way of connecting to things um, and uh, making, I guess, very basic sort of API calls to a source of content. If you don't really understand how to use an API, you can use something like RSS to get uh, a feed of of posts to do things with. And I actually use RSS quite widely myself to create the uh, Christian Schiller website to aggregate the content that I've created in multiple places. So I use it. (laughs) But this post is a little bit more about the history of RSS, uh, how it became successful in the first place, who developed it, and kind of what went wrong along the way. And I found this interesting because it talks about where the standard split in two with RSS and Atom. And um, I actually work on a, a project and a product called Event Store, one of the jobs I have, uh, which uses Atom feeds. So I sort of found this interesting to to see where the, the two came from and how they come from uh, 
a, a common situation in open source when a project forks in different directions and where the different directions end up, I guess. So whether or not you use RSS, it's an interesting sort of story and history about a technology. So it's interesting from that perspective alone. But if you are remorseful about the demise of RSS, like I am, it also can tell you maybe how an open source project should act and uh, proceed with the way it it does things to not die such a somewhat swift and ungraceful death, I guess. And this is actually important to bear in mind because the only really viable alternatives to RSS now are curated or algorithmically defined feeds of content. So this means that um, we're not necessarily getting the kind of freedom of access to the content feeds we used to be able to do with RSS. So we need some sort of alternative to it that is still as uh, lacking a, a central kind of authority on, on where the content comes from in the first place. Huh? It's an interesting maybe topic to revisit in the future. And finally, in my little technology roundup was an article from the Science News by Maria Temming about robots that can follow how-to diagrams. The, I don't know, I'm not sure what we're necessarily expecting from that headline. Uh, maybe the article is, is, is fairly short, to be honest with you, um, but allude to a bigger report you can read. Um, and then the image, which I think is accurate, is a, a set of robot arms like you would see in a factory, but kind of smaller version. I think they actually look like some I saw at um, a conference once. I think someone pitched them to me. They were sort of uh, education uh, robot arms to to emulate what uh, you would see in a factory. And they are playing a game of <laughs> robot boxing. I don't know if you've seen this. It's kind of kid's game where you have two arms and the robots box each other. So somewhat ironic there. I mean... The instructions it's apparently following in this picture are not particularly complicated, so I don't know if that's the only level of instructions it can follow um, or if it can now get up to more complex IKEA furniture or Lego, things like that. Um, but this is quite interesting, and, and this is uh, interesting in many ways because it, it also covers aspects of uh, some of the things I've been looking at with my tech writer hat on about creating images that people can follow in it. And it's it's sort of, it's strange to think that this kind of goes full circle, that maybe we are creating images that can then be scraped by a robotic services to, to follow the instructions too. And it also leads into something that I was researching a couple of years back and never really picked up again. Maybe this is a impetus to do so, was the aspect of a general gaming engine. We have uh, computers that can play chess, that's existed for quite some time, and then more recently um, AlphaGo. But generally, oh, and actually I should add to that, um, there have been a lot of cases of computers playing computer games recently, which is also quite interesting. It's sort of a different aspect to it. But generally these machines have to be taught the rules of individual games. Uh, so this takes this to a new level where you can have a general AI that you show instructions to and then it learns to play the game like that. And that is interesting slash slightly scary uh, <laughs> depending on your perspective. But... It's something I will uh, keep following now. There's been a, a sort of leap forward in getting something like that to work. And in this week's, shall we say, and finally section, because they are two completely unrelated articles. First was, uh, it, it depends sort of how you want to take this, but this is an article uh, on The New Yorker by Isaac uh, Chotina uh, with an interview from a Harvard astronomer uh, called Avi Loeb. 
who's the chair of Harvard's astronomy department, who believes that there was a peculiar interstellar object recently called, okay, here we go, called Aumuamua. And maybe we didn't question enough where it came from. And this is quite fascinating. And the the interview is, is interesting because it actually gives a perspective that maybe the interviewer and the interviewee did not quite see eye to eye on the subject or were not quite understanding each other. Because obviously whenever you have a, ten, uh, have a discussion on alien objects, we will have a tendency to go to extremes. And that's actually one interesting thing that the uh, interviewee mentioned in this post. But he still believes that this could have been a um, some sort of communication from an alien race and we didn't really pay much attention to it and maybe we missed it and maybe it's too late. And this has always been a fascinating thing to think. Um, I guess it relates a little bit to sort of Douglas Adams and the, the answer is 42 if you ask the, the right question sort of thing, is that, you know, we could be looking for solutions to alien life. The, the question is, is there alien life in all the wrong places and missing the, the, the questions being asked to us? Um, will we miss the search for uh, alien life because... Of a standards problem, for example, um, how, why do we expect that anyone can understand our transmissions and vice versa? And it's sort of somewhat concerning, I suppose, to think that we could, on all sides of humanity and unhuman life, be searching for each other, but just not understanding each other or missing unique opportunities when we just pass each other by. And uh, yeah, <laughs> really sober agree to think about that. And yeah, finally in the end, finally section, completely unconnected, but I just found an interesting post from Fast Company um, by Elizabeth Grace Saunders, a, uh, a sort of New Year's related post, I guess, uh, how to redesign your days to give you back a few extra hours every week. Maybe do search for alien life, who knows? I don't normally share these sorts of posts because there's so many, but I guess... There were some in here that I've been following since November. I started my New Year's resolutions in November just to get a head start to try and give myself a bit more time this year. I don't know how well it's working yet, but I'm trying. And there are things like quitting something, limiting something, uh, pausing something, delegating something. This is actually one that in particular that I have been doing a lot more of and I have taken on a few people to help me with some tasks and I highly recommend it actually. Um, the other one I'd maybe throw to this list is something like time boxing, um, making sure that you always do certain tasks in a particular time and you force yourself to do it in that particular time. Uh, otherwise, it just will never get done. And especially if this applies for me for personal projects. Work is easy to get distracted by, especially if there's money involved because it's an extra incentive. But for those personal projects, you really have to force yourself to do them at a particular time. <laughs> And that was my weekly roundup of news that uh, caught my eye from aliens to RSS <laughs> or robots. Maybe the robots can go. But nicely segueing, maybe to my interview with Monique Moreau about how we make technology that actually solves real human problems the way that real humans want them. 
Uh, this ties in a lot of things around ethics, or shall we say, a removing bias of creators from technology to to make it actually useful for the people we are designing it for. Um, yeah, this this interview actually covered a lot of bases. Uh, it starts off a little bit noisy. Again, the typical problem of uh, interviewing people at a large conference where they put you in an interview room separated by tiny thin walls and there's always someone near to you who likes to shout a lot. And then it gets a little easier to hear uh, about uh, 20 to 30% through. So do stick with it or fast forward if it's really bothering you to the parts where it's easier to hear because it's a fascinating conversation. <laughs> The wonderful thing about the, the internet, you know, Humboldt Internet Institute Society, is that these are you've got researchers, but you've got practical uh, professors who have worked in the industry. Right? And so they're not they're practical, right? They're not just theoretical. Okay, good. Yeah. So, which is great. <laughs> and so some of the people are looking at uh, you know algorithmic decision making and rights. Uh, a really great research uh, group. And so anyway. Um, I chose to work with uh, Professor Ingolf Pernitz and his team, along with um, you know people out of Switzerland and other David Chalm, who deals with randomized selective voting, to look at digital identity and the future of democracy. We were one of the seven winners for Advocate Europe. Um, you know what is happening with democracy? What is happening with all of this tribalism, etc. And uh, uh, we had to we went for a, a workshop in Kiev okay. met, met people who ran out of hungry I mean, people whose lives were also yeah actually I have a lot of time for Eastern Europe I'm going to go to um, there's an Eastern European theme tonight uh, I was in Ukraine yeah. <laughs> this month has been a bit crazy uh, earlier this month no last month a month ago yeah. <laughs> um, and it's kind of an area that I find very interesting. Yeah. Hungary, I have been to so-so, uh, uh, but I find Eastern Europe very interesting, especially the Balkans too. Mm-hmm. Serbia and Albania, I also find very interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're much newer to well, democracies this time around, anyway. That's true. Um, so it's kind of, they still have a lot of problems, but it's also kind of interesting because you have a fresher uh, slate to start with for these things. Um, it's actually interesting. We, we sort of, I don't know, sometimes I like these conversations to just start without any prompting. So let's carry on. Um, I was, I've had interesting conversations with a lot of Portuguese people. Yep. Of, because there's a lot web summit happens here for the past couple of years. One thinks, oh, Portugal must be amazing technically. And all these Portuguese people are like, no. Nah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> it is like, it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, they have a 10 year contract. Here and it's like, I mean, it's also well. One of the things I mean, put this away. One of the things that um, that having been on both sides of the the house, right, an enterprise business, also a nonprofit. I mean, there's this, so just to frame up, brother, a Swiss-based nonprofit uh, is is that you see a view of the world through other lenses. Um, when you're in an enterprise company, you have the you walk the company talk and there's not a lack of uh, people knocking at your door and saying hey Chris or Monique we need some funding uh, this, this gets into this, uh, corporate CSO, uh, social responsibility yes. and yeah. so on and so forth 
So you have this dialectic between enterprise companies um, and you know how they're using technology and um, and nonprofits, and NGOs, civil societies, and uh, and so on. So you heard Sir Tim Berners Lee yesterday talking about uh, you know what he this whole manifesto around uh, the web and, and being responsible for for your uh, your data. The interesting thing is um, he has a big project called Solid. Yeah, and there was because I I missed uh, we I had to work actually um, last night on something else uh, helping out with an event and but my wife was watching it and wrote something about it and she said that some of the initial sign ups to this new thing he announced is they were Facebook and Google which was interesting because I mean they're kind of is it lip service are they serious I don't know yeah it's, so so and that, that I, I think what you're finding now is so you know taking a step back yeah same thing right but then look at the people we'll take Google for we'll just beat up on a, on a company for a moment uh, they walked they did, they did stage a walkout and some of them well, the staff did they staffed it but some of them actually are saying look we don't want our technology to be used yep. in such a way so yep. they there's a lot of sort of that if we take Apple Tim Cook stood up and said holy me you know I mean uh, when we have customer when we have uh, um, companies with technologies that know you more than you know yourself that's that's already crossing a line yet on that phone there's facial recognition right so so so, so, so you know I mean you have this sort of this polarities I mean look I think I'll just take a step back um, refugees I have a refugee on my board out of Berlin so sorry you I have a refugee on my board oh your board I, I, sorry. I, sorry I said my board I, I heard on your door I was no, 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 <laughs> your board okay. in yeah. Berlin this grad, a graduate of a great school that I just think the world of Anne catered uh, you know um, around the ready school yeah uh, you know I, I, I uh, volunteered there in the first term so, <laughs> so, no, so, so he's a graduate yeah. oh. so my, my guy's a graduate from that school uh, Akram uh, early early on I've got the yearbook I can choose the yearbook yeah Akram I've got a Akram uh, anyway so yeah and so so we'll just put that one aside but um, you know I went to Jordan okay was a UNHCR mission visited the camp and uh, uh, visit 80% of refugees live outside the camp just as an airport oh, really? that pe- people don't know and 18% of Jordan's population is unemployed so you have a lot of big 18, 18. that's why they were protesting no. they were not protesting against the refugees they were protesting against the government saying where's our work it's too expensive it's really expensive right and so so you have this strong strong polarity and so when I had a chance and so for me until you walk right into those shoes everything is sort of a sort of echo you kind of get it you don't get it so um, we had a, a family open their home to us I mean, and plus we visited some families and, and so they were gracious very gracious and uh, one family said look we made a conscious choice of leaving we want to we want to go and we said we want to go to Europe we're Kurdish Muslims 
and uh, it's we're just not going to go back. So you you have ten people in their home, like you and I, and so the question is asked: There's three children, husband and a wife. The question is asked to the husband, "What do you miss?" I miss everything. In their world, they were all living together, right? and uh, the three children. A fourteen-year-old girl is uh, wants to be a dentist. The sixteen-year-old boy wants to be a helicopter pilot. The eight-year-old kid. I love this boy. Flying dentist. Did you combine? The yeah, no, no, but the 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 sixteen-year-old boy wants to be a helicopter pilot. The fourteen-year-old girl wants to be a dentist. An eight-year-old boy said, "I eight years old. I want to be a human rights lawyer." I'm like, "Whoa, where does that come in from? Right? I want to defend my people. I want to do you know, stuff." Like that. So, so the, the father said, "I miss everything." They asked the question of his wife, and she started to cry. Now, we were counseled by UNACR. You're going to have to suck it in because you're going to see a lot of that. So suck it in. And and when she was crying, the daughter was crying, and the father could see his daughter crying, and so he. Crying, so everybody was crying, you know, because this is they this is something they woke up to, and they have to make that sort of big dip in decisions. And uh, very kind couple, very very, I mean, very kind, but they really want to to start new. Okay, that's outside the camp. Plus, we we talk with people who are with Jordini, you know, they want to they want a vibrant community, they want to they want to do some which is also a polarity for them, you know. If you are a middle class, if you are somebody who is Christopher, comes from Syria, you happen to be an informatic guy, you know, uh, you know, a programmer, you're not allowed to work. Yeah. In fact, yeah. in fact, you can pick tomatoes. You can, you can pick yeah. tomatoes, but you're yeah. and because they're, they're trying to keep the jobs um, sacred for Canadian citizenship. Uh, on the other hand. The so we went to to Satori Camp and we had a chance to go into um, we had a chance to go into you know we to, to somebody's container you know they have their own now it's yeah, their their privacy they have uh, basically it's never etc so they were focused on the woman who had the father was her husband was holding the baby and they met in the camp okay. Marriage, with, by the way, it's five years, ten years when you're in a camp. People know that. And she said, and he's really gracious to her. She said, he killed, he wanted to, it was love, you know, it was sort of this love, and they, they met. He's an Arabic, Arabic scholar. They all come from the same area. They love to go back. They want to go home. And so, and he, they got married. They had a child together. By the way, population, births are going way up. It's an interesting scenario. We were talking about that, too. They focused on her wine. She got a scholarship. Germany, the German government, has one of the wonderful donors. Uh, nobody talks a lot about it. Poor Germany is getting a lot of pain. There's plenty of conversation in the country. Yeah, yeah, conversation in the country. Yeah. And she got a scholarship, so she is um, going outside to Alabaya University to study, and she wants to study dentistry. Yeah. 
dentistry is big. So she wants to study dentistry. And so they asked, so everything is through an Arabic uh, translator. So one of the visitors said, well, do you speak English? And she, I found her, she goes, of course I speak English, but do you speak Arabic? Right? And uh, then as the husband is holding the baby, uh, they said, what is that you wish for your child? And he starts, he starts to pray, he said, not this. I want her to have that future. Right? So that's something that he was very concerned about. So somebody said, look, I'd like to study Arabic, you know, do lessons in Skype because I'll teach you free. Right. So, the, but those are the, sort of the narratives that you sort of picked up. We went back to the talk with you on ACR. Now you're starting to hear it a little bit because the battle's moving forward. They said, let's see how that works out. They said, um, we know that war is coming towards the Jordanian border. What people were not talking about is the fact that uh, 50,000 refugees are stranded in between. So they have to ferry food to them using construction trains. It's called the berm. The berm. And the border was closed at the time. I think Jordan's reopened because they have to prepare for this. The border was closed because of a suicide bomber um, a couple of years ago in August. And so these people, are, they can't go back. They're stranded. They're in between. So they were prepared. They were working with the authorities to look at how they would open the border and maybe go back to some of the camps, you know, to kill some of these camps in the meantime. Um, but certainly the people would like to go back home. They just really want to go back home. So, but for me, that was an interesting thing. That was insightful. That was May. Right? And uh, and so I learned a lot about, you know, uh, what's going on in the space, about uh, how they use uh, biometrics to actually open up bank uh, to not, you don't even have to have a bank account. Um, what happens is we went ran through it. It was really interesting technology. Basically, uh, it's cashless. Uh, and uh, you're registered. It says the family, Chris, Christopher Ward. And uh, uh, they'll, knock, they'll send you a text message and say, Family Christopher Ward, it's time to pick up your 240 Jordanian, you know, and you can go and you, any of these uh, places to, to where you're, because your 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 um, eye is actually through your, through your retina. If you have a damaged retina, they'll do it another way. In fact, when you go to Jordan, have you visited Jordan? Everything is through your retina, by the way. So, and, and, and you get the money but what's nice is you see who the donors are yeah. right so 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 and if you don't you take it off the list you don't have any money and so so because they'll keep knocking I'll knock hey you haven't picked up your funds yet are you going to pick up your funds and scratch scratch family Christopher Ward out right or Chris Ward so um, but it's it's uh, it, it's an interesting to see what the technologies are and how technologies are enabling in this case my the thesis around the humanized internet is, uh, you know, we did win an award. Uh, MIT solved the, care, the narrative around closing the caregiver, global caregiver, lack of caregivers globally, and uh, couldn't we not um, use credentialing? Uh, could we not work with the refugee community to use credentialing? They don't care. Refugees don't care about blockchain. What they want to know is, is the British government going or the German government going to accept that recertification? Yeah. Right? Um, because that's the most important. And why is that critical? It's because when they come, 
they're spending 40 to 50 this is the far right narrative 40 to 50,000 euros trying to recertify they can't recertify yeah. they go on they drain the social system that's not what they want so you have to kind of think about how do you solve the problem at source yeah. Yeah. and so uh, that's one of the exciting things that what do you mean what do you mean at source before they before they leave a country or, or before they leave in terms of having if they're going to resettle resettlement yeah. is a legal term right if they have if they're going to leave if they're not going back to, to Syria if they made the if you have caregivers or 100 nurses or whatever they uh, or uh, ambulance drivers are, are the examples. Those are the examples we've seen. Um, and they really have made the decision mentally, culturally, to say, we're going to go. It's no way. We don't want to stay there. If they're going to go to Sweden or Australia, I was actually in Australia at the end of May, um, they want to be able to, to come in and work. They want to be able to say, look, I've been certified. Um, I've been certified. My credentials are, uh, we're working with yeah. the, care, with the uh, caregiver uh, foreign nursing group, uh, which does a bit of that credentialing, plus we're doing it with blockchain. I've been certified. Does the reason, can the receiving government accept it as recertification? Now, we know that healthcare is very, very sensitive, but at least with nursing or caregivers, it, and I'll put that in quotes, could they not accept it? That's what we mean by source if they're going to, rather than saying okay sorry you're going to have to spend yeah, out yeah, another yeah. 20,000 quid yeah. uh, you know to, to do yeah. that right yeah. so and then what is the humanized internet it's a non-profit doing is it a, is it research is it presentation no. so, or oh we, we've got so several several things we are um, we're working with uh, groups like Procevis.ca so the solution is in space uh, place when we're talking about EID plus right so that exists. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, they, they're working with uh, uh, a Rohingya out of Malaysia to offer it as a solution. So that exists. That is also part of the solution that is going to be given or donated to uh, for the uh, Advocate Europe project. So that's not ethereal. Number one, that's a good thing. But what we're working on further is this whole notion of a persistent lock, digital lockbox. Mm. That doesn't exist. Is that on a phone or? It could be. It could yeah. be on a device. It could be on several devices where you and your yeah. family, your wife, will have digital digital keys and access to uh, that has your sets of documentation there. It's persistent to you. It's not on a Google Drive. Yeah. Okay, so it'd be paired. You have it sort of paired, and only you. So we're not talking about storage because people say, "Oh, storage is going to go to the cloud." No, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's not. So some of the universities, uh, technical universities, are like, this is a really interesting problem we would like to work on. So there is a level of research that is getting to this space. Yeah. There's actually the, um, I don't know if you saw the, the recent HTC crypto wallet phone, and it was a stupid novelty. It hasn't even come out, but it's a stupid novelty idea. But one thing they proposed, which is reminding me of this, was that they said um, instead of having 
the standard public key, private key uh, setup, you could give like parts of keys to your families, and then if you ever lost the phone, then HTC would. Um, this all starts to break down a little bit, but still the idea is interesting. Recreate the records from those keys from your trusted parties, which sounds, you know, a little bit like this idea, although for its purpose was a bit well, strange. Well, no, but, but nobody would recreate keys because only you would have them, and if they're lost, they're forever no, lost. not the keys. It's uh, the keys to what you've lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and so, you don't want to depend on a sort of a centralized authority. No, authority. no, for sure. This was this was amongst. But but it's kind of yeah. you know sort of is a little bit in that direction. Yeah. And so I think that you know when we think about um, this device. Rohingyas, I mean, people uh, people out of Berlin who made the walk, that was important to them. In fact, there's some research there's some research documentation to say that was my body. Yeah. That phone, that yeah. device yeah, yeah, for sure. is everything. Yeah, everybody has one. I will well, save money yeah. for that, right? Yeah. So so we know that's a tool. It's just how the tool is, is used. It's just when we talk about digital keys and safe deposit. I mean, if I keep my documents, my natural, my original birth certificate in some kind of bank or vault or wherever that is and it gets destroyed for natural disaster I'm not even talking about war I'm talking about just a a bloody earthquake or something and I don't have the original anymore I can't get the original for whatever purpose then what happens so it's going to be a challenge to convincing governments to accept to to accept it because uh, and I think this is where we're we're kind of gravitating towards or or getting towards you know a bit and of course you take these government government entities along the journey otherwise they'll just go whoa what's where you're 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 way off left field so and that's that's a that's kind of the the concern because anything that's centralized will be will be will be hacked having said that i think that the government i'm not sure if it's new zealand has basically said just on digital keys now they're thinking in terms of bitcoin or that level of keying they could demand they will they have said if we de- we suspect malfeasance we're going to demand that you surrender them it's like whoa where is that I think this, I think this happened in a few places especially because you also have encrypted conversations and things it's uh, it's yeah yeah it's, it's a problematic it's like demanding a password or something you know well yeah. you know look I'm not uh, I mean I, I think that uh Instead of hacking centralized databases, uh, it'd be interesting. So it's Copernican, what I'm thinking about, right? So 7.4 billion people. You, see, you sort of you're going to go and hack 7.4 billion people. Uh, you kind of flip that uh, paradigm a little a bit. And if I if I move it forward into the narrative that I've been talking about in, in two panels at least, uh, I, 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 this gets into the future of work. So I'm going to take you along another path. Can we now? use and so you know I'm also in this group around um, we, we co-authored a book a whole group of people throughout the world people centered economy right uh, yeah you saw that so I, I, kind of, yeah. I think I gave it to you as a URL could you
you're not using. So if we think we're in a task-based economy, you know, you're in a job, you're in a company, I have the right to throw you out. But I, I don't have the right, I'm not going to make you whole again. I don't care. You're just a cost. Versus the gig economy, which is I've got freedom, I'm just going to supplement my, uh, my uh, you know, my income. Versus the next wave, which is the people-centered economy, which is why not use artificial intelligence? This is the manifesto. Where you, I could get, I'm going to pair you with the perfect, your your job that you want, with the people you want to work with. You are going to get more money than you are earning now. And, um, oh, by the way, there'll probably be some commission starts to it, but it's for you. It's called the tailored, you know, it's tailored. We're not yet there. And I think that's where we have to flip it a, a little bit in terms of the good use. AI right now, and I'll put that in quotes because you have to look at what AI is. Yeah. But but right now it's kind of a it's a cost rather than an earning opportunity. So flipping that conversation around to do that is really where when you read the book where where the, the direction is. And so if we could do that um, then you don't have to say, okay, you're a triangle, and I got to put you in a circle, because the whole thing about search is so so static anyway. Or yeah, we just we just scrub people and and the right. jobs that no one wants. No, no, that's where. But then we're talking about a job for you, right? Tailored for you. But what is a job that no one wants? You know, maybe somebody wants that job, right? But you know, maybe you don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about a job that. I mean, I think the thing of it is right now is that what happens is uh, you'll get a knock on the door and say oh Chris uh, we think we can do this what do you think and you're going well I got about 20% of that but that's not really I don't know who the other side is etc etc so that's what you're doing but I think we have to think of it at a, at a level of can that not be possible and the technology is here it's also the will of at least the, one of the European commissioners went oh gosh we want to talk to you about that but, but this is a group of people who are saying, uh, and they're 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 filmmakers, they're uh, um, you know roboticists, they're uh, um, entrepreneurs. These are a group of very eclectic individuals who are saying we can do this. Mm. It's very possible in the global. And uh, still, just to to go back slightly, so the Humanized Internet yes. is a set of uh, research projects, of active projects. No, they're active. I mean, we're writing a pro- we're writing a book on it. So. Okay. So the book is going to come out uh, with uh, some of the contributors that I've been talking about, you know, in entertainment and so on, circa March of 2019. I'd like to say it's March 2019, at least that's what we have on the website. So um, there is there is there is the example of of taking it further. So there's the the um, there's some of the sets of projects we want to work with universities on. So there's the research mm-hmm. aspect of it. There's a the solution aspect okay. of it. Yeah. Which we, so the solution we've given you so two examples. One is what about taking working with people who are doing um, uh, e-government as a service EID plus. And there is also the example of can I use uh, a blockchain mm-hmm. credentialing, which is the MIT Sol uh, project, which is which is concrete, hmm. and do I do walk my talk. I mean, I'm I'm finishing up a master's degree in digital currency at the University of Nicosia, which is the first university. University of where? Nicosia in Cyprus. It's okay. the first university to offer um, this program, and where you, the the first course is free. It's a MOOC. 
But then you would have to matriculate formally. And I've met incredible people, Chris. I've met doctors, lawyers. You know, you have to understand law in this space. You have to understand what... I mean, I even coded. <laughs> which is which is, is like, take me... A, when, I, when you talk about a smart contract, then you know what you're talking about when you do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is which is really fun, you know. Um, and so there's, there's looking at the aspects of how do I deal with... How do I... So number one is, you know, educating yourself, being cogent in what it is you're doing. Uh, otherwise, you're just... You're not credible, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, to t- talk, sit with somebody and look at how they do deal with Ethereum and, and smart contracting versus, versus setting up your virtual Bitcoin mine, which is what I did, which is an interesting space in itself, you know, and, and understanding what, what's happening in that space. Uh, and then having a wallet uh, or several wallets set up, you know, which do, which is, uh, I got 0.12 cents on it or something. But, you know, to be able to, to, to do that yeah. sort of cogent, like, yeah. Yeah. and I think that's 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 the, 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 the value. I mean, we're looking at um, working now to take it even further in with the uh, with the Vetri or Perceive It Foundation. I'm going to be leading the foundation. We're looking at this notion of creating and branding around fair data, like fair trade, mm. responsible use of, of data. And so enterprise com- companies are realizing that this is something that they really want to get into. They, you know, just as you say, whatever Intel inside, or this has not been built or fair fair trade. Uh, I think there is an appetite. We believe we have market research to suggest there's an appetite to get more and more into that responsible use. Do you mean things around uh, people monetizing their own data instead of their yeah. data being monetized? Or? or yes, you choose selectively to share it and say, look, I'm I'm going to pay me. Hmm. If I want it, if I want to deal with precision in, uh, medicine, knowing that DNA is really, really hard, yeah, but at least I know how it's being used yeah. and, and, and so on and so forth. I think that's important. Or I can say I want to go to Doctor X, my G general practitioner, but not Doctor Y because I don't trust that doctor. Actually, they're doing that in Estonia. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. By the way, I have an Estonia card. I do. Too. <laughs> so I've had one great. for a very long time, which was a nice experiment, right? I mean, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I went to the Estonian embassy in Berlin, which is a fun little place. <laughs> I actually went to um, Estonia to, to get it. Yeah, at the time I went afterwards. But um, yeah, so, in some respects, maybe the project is almost better named as the human-centered internet, like yeah. uh, an internet that revolves around humans being able to maximize it, as opposed to the other people maximizing them. I well, sir, I mean, yeah. it's a, you know, we we uh, we we trademark it. I mean, and we. After multiple conversations, uh, and plus I'm working with people-centered economy, multiple conversations, it was apparent that we really had to get back to the human being, the human at the center of this conversation. I mean, there's so many dystopian views of what technology can do, but if you just have the human, I mean, the back end, the human is going to be, I think we... What do you think is actually needed to make some of these ideas and ideals and maybe even dreams happen? Are, are the current power brokers too vested are they only when when they sign up for some of these ideas are they only really just doing it to look good or are they really changing and conversely with that are people are enough do enough people care enough to make it happen 
Wow. Um, uh, great sets of questions. I'm hoping, I, I'm, I'm going to use sort of the hope to yeah, yeah. alter. I think, I think it's very important that okay, the power of brokers, the, the, the enterprise size of the company, I think they, they're, they're starting to get that this is a very important issue mm. now. Whether or not they do something about it is, and realistically do something about it is open. Um, I think it's uh, crazy mm. that in Silicon Valley, you have tons of people who are homeless. There's no middle class. I mean, my brother used to work for the city in San Jose. I mean, you know, I've been living in Switzerland for over 20-some-odd years, 28 years, five years in between in Hong Kong. But he could take you and show you places where these people are homeless, and they're lower middle class, and some of them are veterans, military veterans. Where is that? Where's logic in that? And it doesn't matter if some company Company CEOs are saying we're going to sign checks and give to the homeless. That's not what they want. No. They want dignity. Yeah. They're living. Families are living out of cars. Yeah. So, you know, if you can turn that paradigm around, where you say zero tolerance for homeless, pay people to learn that type of thing, change that a bit. That would be a, a start. Um, dream. I think that. I think that the there is there is a fine line between. Mass empowerment of these technologies to mass destruction, mm-hmm. a very fine line. And I think the consumers are not aware of it. I mean, um, I could take a spider drone, probably, and not that I would, but I took it, take a the spider drone and probably put anthracnose on it. And do you know that spider in your shower is a spider? You don't know. I think it's interesting that people are looking at your rucksacks for the obvious, but what about... Other kinds of nastiness that could happen, and I think that this is the situation. It's a fine line. Or on the other hand, hey, I take a picture and I can diagnose my 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 skin or whatever. I can I, I have these tools at my behest. But the consumer, I think it's important and incumbent upon all of us to actually educate that we create these technologies. And who are we, by the way? That yeah. gets into cognitive bias yeah, sure. and recognition yeah, yeah, of cognitive yeah, yeah. bias. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's uh, incumbent upon us to. Uh, embed quote-unquote ethics quote-unquote into and that gets into a larger set of conversations of what that is it's very interesting that philosophy is coming back in you know uh, but so, so the, to, to, to still the question on the other side with large enterprises I think it's uh, they got to show their stuff right? uh, on the other side um, being on the other side uh, we can post this good we can actually say we're going to we create this, these these solutions or we we pose it we pose the question uh, such that solutions in this direction can be created um, whether or not that becomes a threat an existential threat to these organizations it's yet to be uh, to to be seen um, so do they actually co-opt that um, and say okay we're going to go off and do it do you trust it I mean everything we're talking about is a loss of trust whether it's the banking crisis or whatever it's a loss of trust uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so good point. how do you build trust yeah. back in and a lot of recent projects have talked about bringing back trust amongst people and whether they do or not is again a different conversation but um, that's actually a recurring theme that's come up a lot that's true yeah okay thanks for your time thanks Chris thank you
And that was my interview with Monique Moreau from last year's Web Summit. I hope you've enjoyed it. That was quite an interesting weekly squeak. I think we covered aliens. We covered old technologies. We covered robots learning things faster than humans. I feel like there's a combination there. There's a, there's a theme there. Maybe we should uh, pay heed to. Speaking of which, I actually rewatched 2001 recently, and that was an interesting film. <laughs> I feel like also relates to some of those aspects. Anyway, you can find more about my other newsletters and the other podcasts I will be running soon, and the, the uh, new website will be done soon. I do apologise for the past two weekly weeks. I have been redirecting you to look for information. It isn't there quite yet, but just in case you're listening to this in a few weeks when it will be ready, because it will be ready very soon, I promise. You can find more on kristenchiller.com or you can tweet at me um, at Chris Chinch. And you can find me as Kristen Chiller pretty much everywhere else. So if you have been, and until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>